this morning as we're going to talk about our citizenships in heaven because Paul's really wanting to really focus our attention on uh, the Christian life that as we're passing through this world, not to get all our hopes and dreams and all kind of, you know how you, you, you kind of like as you, the, the younger I was, the more um, it's kind of like, uh, I remember the song at my graduation, we've only just begun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have all these dreams and these things, you know, and, we, and we've got them. Uh, we, this is how the world should work. And then we have real experience and we get uh, to dealing with things and we realize that there's the, maybe just the first disappointment, the first relationship that goes sour or the first thing that happens that, that kind of causes us to question. And we're saying, you know, things, uh, there's so much disappointment in this world. And, you know, if you're a Christian and thinking that there's not going to be disappointment, then you're really, you're really in for a shock. <laughs> because God never intended the fallen world to fulfill all of our dreams. Not this fallen world. But he wants us to realize that heaven is ultimately will fulfill all of the things, our expectations. You know, we live based on expectations. And we get disappointed because our expectations get dashed, Right? And then we realize that a lot of the frustration and discouragement is because we're thinking, we're, it's kind of like that lemon, you're trying to squeeze all that lemon juice out of that lemon. But there's a point where it seems like the things that this earth offers tend to be less and less uh, a joy and a pleasure as we get closer and closer to heaven. And heaven becomes more a reality to us. And that's what Paul is trying to get, deal with because he's dealing with what does a Christian life look like. And I, I think a lot of Christians are disappointed uh, in this life. Sometimes their joy is being squeezed out of them. Their joy in the Lord is squeezed out because they're focused on trying to get everything they can out of this life and not realizing that the ultimate joy and focus as you live in this fallen world is that there's going to be a day when all of this stuff that disappoints us is going to be gone. And our fulfillment is going to be in Christ. So we're going to look at this in uh, Philippians chapter 3. Look at, uh, as Paul's been describing his own Christian life and his own Christian experience in this book. Remember, we had four points. The four main points in this book is this. Number one, the priority in your Christian life is that I might know Christ. In other words, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. That's the main chapter one is the priority in the Christian life, even when I'm sitting in prison, Paul says, my priority is that I would glorify Christ. And then the pattern for our Christian life and how to live that Christian life is ultimately we see it in Christ's humility and his servanthood and his willingness to put aside his desires and to, you know, to, to serve others. And then the third point in chapter 3, really, he focuses on the purpose of the Christian life is not just getting more knowledge about Jesus, but to know Christ in our experience daily, to grow in that, to know him, the power of his resurrection, the, the reality of that life that's seeping through us by the Holy Spirit's work uh, through the scriptures and through uh, fellowship with one another. And then finally, in the, in the fourth chapter, it's going, he's going to talk about the power of the Christian life, and that is that I can do all things through Christ. And so he's trying to get us to, he's, he's really, the whole book of Philippians is about joy. And joy is focused and centralized in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he's going to, he's kind of like, he's kind of, this is like the crescendo of the book as we begin in verse 17, is that he's, he's told us that uh, in the Christian life, serving Christ can be like running a race. 
And now he's going to tell us something else about that in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, Paul's weeping, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But notice, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now, how is he going to do that? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. May God add his blessing to his uh, holy and errant infallible word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word. And Father, just that uh, we are citizens of heaven. Father, may the reality of that sink deep within each of us today. And uh, for those that can't be here, Lord, because of, uh, just because of the, 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 the infirmities of the body, uh, Lord, may you strengthen, may you encourage, may you uh, help them even in these moments to know that uh, they are citizens of heaven and that uh, their king is reigning and that he's coming again. We ask that you would uh, just uh, renew our thinking, Father, as we, uh, as we think on these pas- this passage this morning. And we ask you especially, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to come and teach us. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a, there's a psalm, Psalm 48. Um, it's one that kind of indirectly relates to this passage. But in Psalm 48, it says that we should go around um, Zion and we should look at the structure inside. But he's not talking about physical structure. He's talking about as we walk through on our journey to heaven, he's saying as we walk through this Christian life, um, we join hands with other believers and that we should look at what God is doing in other people's lives. And that we see, uh, he talks about ramparts and, and uh, you know, structures. But he's talking about Christians who have lived the life, who have, who have fought a lot of the battles. And you look to them as, as people that you can find as examples. And he's saying, you know, we should rejoice and give thanks for those, uh, for those guides. You might say they're, they tend to, it's kind of like, uh, just think about it. If you were traveling to Europe, one of the things you'll probably want to know is you want a travel guide, right? You hope that if you're on a tour that you've got a guide because they, they know where they're going, number one. Uh, they know the language that, you know, because depending on where you're at, you may not know the language. Um, and they know what sites to show you. You know, they're not just driving you through the worst parts of the city. They're, they're trying to show you the best part, right? Well, we have guides in the Christian life. And Paul is kind of, Paul's basically, incl- he's been talking about our pattern, but he's saying now, Imitate me. Now, that's a big, that's a big statement to, for him to say, imitate me. I mean, uh, he's basically saying, follow me. Join. He, says, he even says here, brothers, verse 17, join in imitating me. And so he's, he's, he's basically saying, you know, I'm, uh, I'm following Christ, and there are others following Christ, and imitate those people, those, those godly people that you see, that you rub shoulders with day to day. He says, now, now imitate those people. And the thing is, is that because God's created us to imitate, we do it naturally, right? I mean, think about things that you do that your children will say, boy, you're just like mom or you're just like dad, you know? Uh, 
I know the things that I do, Chris will say, okay, uh, John Sr. <laughs> and I'll say to her, okay, Maxine Hoagland, <laughs> you know, because there's so many things that we imitate we don't even know. As children, we imitate. Um, but we do that uh, subconsciously. But Paul is saying as a Christian, we do that too. We, we look at people that we want to imitate. And, as they, and Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But he doesn't say follow me in everything. He just says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so it's really important is that we have the kind of guide. So what Paul's going to lay out here for us is he's going to give us two contrasts. He's going to say, follow me, don't follow these guys. Then he's going to say, you're citizens of heaven. They're not citizens of heaven. And then he's going to say over here, your destination is resurrection. There's is destruction. So he's really showing a contrast in this passage. And he's, he's wanting us to, to really marvel at the fact that if we're Christians, we have something to celebrate. And we have a lot of encouragement, and we have guides to guide us to that place. I remember as, uh, uh, as a young Christian, um, there, was, uh, there was this, and I think I've even mentioned to him, there were two uh, uh, ladies from Cuba that were exiled. And um, we, would get, uh, we would go to their homes, uh, me and another uh, brother in Christ, and we would teach a Bible study there. And, uh, but what was interesting about it is they were exiles from Cuba, but guess what we ate when we got there? It wasn't hamburgers and french fries. We got the, we got the Cuban dishes. I mean, man, it was, huh. Uh, after you ate one of her, her dinners, you could hardly teach because you were just like stuffed. It's kind of like uh, you, were just, you were just overwhelmed. And, and, and by the way, and if they met another Spanish person, they didn't talk in English. Guess what they started talking in? They talked their language. They talked about, they started speaking Spanish. And if you didn't know Spanish, you couldn't understand. They're going blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, oh, you know, I can't follow what they're saying. I can't even, even if I knew Spanish, I couldn't figure it out. Uh, and I knew a little Spanish, but not enough. And, uh, and their clothing, they dress differently. Why is that? That their citizenship, although they were, they had, she'd come to America and she'd been naturalized and she became a citizen of the USA, guess where her heart and her mind often was? She always wanted to go back to Cuba. She couldn't go back there because Castro had cast them out. They taught in this Christian school. He said, you can't have a Christian school here and teach about Jesus. And they kicked them out. They lost their home. They lost their savings. They lost everything. They came here in, in total poverty. They lost their whole livelihood. Uh, and, uh, but the point is, is that she always talked about her homeland. And, and that it affected her the way she lived even here, uh, even in America. She didn't, she didn't I mean, she, she was American in name, citizenship in name, but in reality, she's still Cuban. And, uh, and, but she had this, but she was, more importantly, she was a Christian. But Paul's saying there's two guides here, and he's saying that we're one of the guides, but he doesn't just say imitate me only. He says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So he's given us an example in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Paul's in prison, and he's saying, don't feel sorry for me. This is an opportunity for God to use my struggle, my disappointment, in order to bring glory to his name. 
So I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. How is God using the disappointments in your life to wing you in a sense, and I don't want to say wing you, and I'm using that, that term kind of loosely, okay, to wing you from trying to find all of your fulfillment, let's say, in your marriage or in a relationship or in a friend or in uh, your bank account or in your work. Because don't we do those things because we're trying to get some fulfillment out of those things? You know, it's kind of like, um, uh, I don't know about you, as a kid, I loved juicy fruit, okay? And the one thing I loved about it is because you put it in your mouth and pour oh, that, oh, that, all, that, all that sugar, sugar rush, and you just got this, the flavor of it. But what happens about within about two minutes, you have to stick another stick in. Pretty soon I had the whole thing in my mouth, probably within a half hour. And that's kind of like trying to get out of this life everything that there is to get and realizing that it's going to disappoint me because it's never meant and intended to be the fulfillment that God wants me to have in the Christian life. That fulfillment ultimately is in Christ and ultimately it's in my citizenship in heaven because guess what? Where is my name recorded? In the book, the Lamb's Book of Life, right? Genesis, or Revelation chapter 20, you know, it says there that if your name is in the Lamb's book, it says that that Christian's names are in the Lamb's book of life. You've got your name recorded there. You are, you are more a citizen of heaven as a Christian than you are a citizen of this earth. And that reality is what Paul wants to leave us with, to, to, to grab us, to say, oh, wow, I, I, you know, think, I mean, if, 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 that, if, I'm, if my citizenship's in heaven, then in some sense, I'm still a stranger and a sojourner here. I'm going to still have disappointment tomorrow. And I'm going to have disappointment in the other day. And there's going to be times when I, when I can't physically do what I want to do. I'm going to be disappointed. But there's going to be a day. But all of that's going to disappear, and I'm going to be able to walk and leap and jump and praise God the way God intended. And so Paul is, Paul is kind of like preparing them to say, look, just remember, there are people that you can follow out here that will be true guides, that will, that will preach the gospel, who will live the gospel. Kind of like what James is talking about, in, in, right, Donnie, in chapters 2 and the first 2 and 3, chapters 2, 1, 2, and 3. In other words, in other words they, they basically say, I, I, I'm a follower of Christ, and my life is the fruit of that relationship. It's evident. It's not perfect. I mean, I mean like he even says there, James says, you know, our, our, I mean, think about it. He says, we have, to put a, we have to put a bridle on our tongue because sometimes our tongue just says stuff that, you know, we say stuff and we offend people and we don't even realize we offended them until somebody tells us, you know, that was really offensive what you said. And like, you know, I didn't even think about it. I didn't look at it that way. Um, but he's telling us, too, that there are people that we shouldn't imitate. And notice those people, he calls them something very, uh, very, you might say, is that being a harsh, Paul? Notice what he says in verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears. Paul's weeping. He's saying there are people that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There are people who preach a gospel of grace to the point that they say, you know, um, let's sin so that grace might abound. Romans chapter 6. 
He's saying, well, you know, we're saved by grace, and if we're saved by grace, let's just make grace, let's just make grace abound. We'll just sin more and we'll have more grace. And Paul's saying, don't be deceived by that kind of stuff. Paul, you know, he's saying, God forbid that I would do that. He's, so, so Paul's basically saying there are people who will preach a loose kind of grace that doesn't affect your life, that doesn't affect your, your, your desires, that doesn't... In other words, it's, it's basically saying that when God saves you, that there's no regeneration. Because when regeneration takes place, brothers and sisters, your love for the Scriptures is because you've been regenerated. <laughs> it's been, you've been born again. And if you're born again, guess what? There's a, there's a change in your desires, there's a change in your thinking, and there's a change in your will. You bow the knee to Jesus. That's what it means to be saved. It doesn't mean just having a head knowledge about Jesus. Well, I believe that he lived, and I believe that he died, and I believe that he rose again. Okay, that's head knowledge. What are you going to do with it? Well, I believe in Washington, George Washington, that he lived and he died. And I don't, obviously, he didn't rise again. <laughs> if he's a Christian, he'll rise again. But in other words, I can have a historical knowledge of things. But faith is that I actually then trust Christ in, for my salvation alone. I'm transferring my trust from myself and what I do to what Christ has done. That's salvation. And so Paul's, Paul's saying there's this people that do preach a loose grace. It's in other words, I'm saved. It doesn't matter what I do. And Paul's saying that's not, that's not the gospel. You have to watch that. You can't just play games with God. You know, how can I recognize these grace gives you a license to sin preachers or people? And he gives us three characteristics. Number one, actually, I'm going to say these in reverse. They set their minds on earthly things. In other words, three, three things you can look at. Their thinking, he says here, their thinking, their conduct, and their talk. So what about their thinking? Well, they set their minds on earthly things. What is the whole point of their life is that, in other words, power, wealth, and entertainment, whatever you want to do is okay, and that that's, that's, it's just all about this life. Nothing about heaven, nothing about Christ, nothing about um, the life of God in the soul. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world, the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, what is the love? What is the world? For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of what? Desires of the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is not from the Father. But, he says, it's from the world. And the world's passing away in its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So John's dealing with basically the same thing. And so, so he says, first of all, their thinking is that it's all about this life. Get, it, get all the gusto out of this life because this is all there is. Now, you turn the television on. Isn't that really what we see on television? Everything that you want to experience, if you're, you better have your bucket list because if you don't have your bucket list, guess what? That's all there is. Now, I don't have a bucket list, but I do know people that do have a bucket list, and they're trying, you know, I'm going to do all these things before I die. Well, you know, we don't determine when we're going to, that's going to happen. And that's nothing wrong with that in per se. But, I, but truly, there's more to my Christian life than my bucket list. Okay? 
So, so in other words, that's their thinking. Now, what's their conduct? Well, their God is their belly, he says. In other words, it's all about their appetite. It's about sexual fulfillment. It's about, uh, it's about food and drink and all these other things. It's, not about, uh, it's nothing about loving God and loving others. Um, it's, it's, it's really that kind of a, it, it's very flesh-oriented. In fact, Paul says, I don't even have any confidence in my flesh. He's talking about a religious person. He says, I obeyed the law. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I did this. I did that. I, you know, I, I did everything right. But the problem is, is I was trusting in that to save me. And I was trusting in that to fulfill my life. And Paul's saying, that's not, that's not Christianity. Uh, it might be what, uh, it's, it's a perversion, <laughs> if anything, of Christianity. Uh, and then notice their talk. They glory, it says, in their shame. And so what he's talking about there is basically they boast in, they boast in um, the things that we would say, I really should be a little red-faced about some of sin. I mean, think about how the world's talking about sin right now. I mean, I mean they're promoting it, right? In fact, this perversion has gone, is going full-blown right now especially on television or even in the school system. I mean, it's basically saying, you know, if somebody wants to be, you know, they're a girl that wants to be a boy and a boy that wants to be a girl, they want to be trans this or trans that, then, you know, that's okay. That's perversion because God created man in his image, male and female. There are no other, I mean, you either are one or the other. You can't be three and you can't be a fourth. I mean, you know, now there's, one girl said she was six or seven different people. And no wonder there's 40 or 50% of the people who are trying, trying, to, cha- have, trying to change their gender or have, are, have, have sought suicide in some form or another. Why? They're confused. They've basically rejected just what God, our creator, has created them to be. And then you take the gospel out of it. And if you say, basically, I'm born this way, you're basically saying the gospel has no effect on how you view yourself in the image of God. That the gospel has no ability to transform my affections and my desires to make them more like what Christ wants me to have in my desires. And that's what's wrong about it. And Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1. God gave them up. And, 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 and you know, and it, it's, but what, when, when, when perversion goes mainstream, as Christians, I have to, I have to paddle against that. I can't say, well, that's just the way it is. In other words, in Canada, if you, pre- if you preach conversion that, that you know, you, if you're converted, God will actually help heal that problem, you can be arrested. In fact, a pastor was arrested just recently. It's called conversion therapy. It's like, well, wait there. You mean I can't preach the gospel? No, you can't tell people that God will change your desires and give you a new heart and new affections. You're going like, well, isn't that what the gospel does? I mean, so what, what's Paul saying? He's saying that there are people, and even in the church today, there are people saying, well, it doesn't matter if that pastor is homosexual. As long as he doesn't practice. Where in the Bible do I get, can I, can I support that? I mean, it's, it's and, and to say otherwise, basically you're saying, you're saying that a Christian to have to preach that kind of a gospel is basically that there's something wrong with them. You're, 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 you're basically um, 
I mean, Hollywood, whatever, whoever else is out there, the government, all these people are buying into this. And it's scary. It really is. Because it, it's affecting our children and the way they're viewing who they are. The beauty that God's created, God created this, he created everything and he said it was all good. And when he created Adam and Eve and he created them in their image, male and female, he says it's good. He didn't say, boy, I forgot something. You know, I, I forgot about this trans thing. Perversion has gone mainstream. It's even crept into the church. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that, there, that basically that is something that you're not to... In other words, that is an actual a denial of the gospel when somebody says, well, I'm a Christian and I can do anything I want to. That's perversion. That's denying the gospel. It's denying the, 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 the conviction of the Holy Spirit that, that dwells in a believer. When you, you know, it's, it's fun. You know, somebody doesn't have to come to you and say you're doing wrong when you sin, Right? What happens? Man, I feel so miserable. <laughs> I can't live with myself. My wife can't live with me. And, you know, until I repent, until I call a spade a spade, guess what? I'm going to be miserable. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in my heart. And he won't let me sleep until I confess my sin to him and say, what I did was wrong. What I said was wrong. Uh, you know, aren't you thankful the Holy Spirit lives in you <laughs> to convict you? To cause you to, to, to I mean, and, and now sometimes God will use another person to rebuke you. Sometimes will, uh, to call, I mean, the worst thing you can do to anybody is to tell them what they want to hear, right? If you tell somebody, if you, I mean, think about it. You call a spade what? A spade. If you see a skunk and you call it, you know, no, that's just a cute raccoon. Guess what? Well, if, it's, if, it's, if it looks like a, what? It looks like a skunk. It smells like a skunk. It acts like a skunk. It's a skunk. And you, do, you would do injustice to that poor child that goes up and tries to hug that skunk, right? <laughs> and yeah, that's what we're trying to do today. We're try, basically saying, well, you know, it's, you know we're going to call it something else, but God calls it, God calls it a, a spade a spade. He calls sin a sin. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't stop there. And he says, but that's why the cross is there. That's why you have the gospel. That's why you share the gospel with people. Because we are aliens and strangers in this world. And even Paul, uh, Paul says it again in another place. Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter one, 2. I think it's verse 10. He says, we're aliens and strangers. He says, we're even exiles. Hebrews chapter 12 or chapter 11. Uh, it talks about us being exiles or strangers. Abraham was a stranger, but he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And that's the encouragement. So what does our Christian citizenship entail here then? Well, I, I think that's, that's the beautiful part because he says, but. <laughs> I love those buts in Philippians, don't you? But, notice verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he, he's focusing Okay, don't follow this example, follow this example, and this is what it means to be a citizen of heaven. In other words, you've been raised with Christ. If you're a Christian, you've already been raised with Christ. You've been given new life. You've experienced what the Bible talks about as the first resurrection. You know, 
when Jesus said, uh, I am the resurrection and life, he's basically saying, if you've experienced that first resurrection, you obviously, you will experience the second resurrection, which is when Christ comes back. In other words, seek those things. You're, you're, I mean, think about it. your citizenship and all your interests are being protected and promoted by your king in heaven who reigns right now on the throne. You know, um, you know, people are going through a lot of things right now, and you say, uh, who's protecting my back? Who's watching my interests? Who's taking care of what might happen down the road? Jesus Christ. Because he's sovereign, and he's in control of every event, even Putin himself. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, God, can, God puts a ruler up and he takes them down, up and down, up and down. You want to think about the beasts in Revelation? Those are nations. I mean, Daniel says that. He even says that the head was what? Remember, he said the head was, you know, he, he talks about the head being Nebuchadnezzar, the chest being Greek and Persia. And then he talks about the, the legs being Rome and then the reconstruction Roman government. In other words, you know, tyranny... And uh, what, uh, you know, we try to create, in other words, it's, it's power abuse on display and defiant against the God of heaven. And anytime you do that, it happens. It, that's, and yet, who's watching my back? God is because my interests are in heaven. God is going to make sure that all of those who are his will be with him in eternity. And that's encouraging. Uh, you know, Paul's, Paul's making that, that your citizenship is something that should impact your conduct tomorrow morning when you go to work or whatever, whether you're, you know, whatever you're doing. It's, go, it's going to affect the way that you, you deal with your issues because you're going to deal with disappointment. You're going to build. There's so much hurt and pain out there right now. But if we think that this world is my home, I'm going to try to rectify every situation and every problem that I can. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try, but we should never be disappointed in the fact that we still live in a fallen world. And the only, thing, only person that's really going to fix our problems is Jesus Christ and his return. I'm looking forward to the return of Jesus. Now, whether you're, pro, whether you're pre, post, or ah, <laughs> you know, doesn't make any difference. Jesus wins, right? And Jesus is coming back. <laughs> And Jesus is coming, and he's saying, because of that, and because you are citizens of heaven, you're aliens and strangers here, don't think this is all there is. Don't try to think that I've got to get everything out of this life that there is to get, or my joy and my future and, my, and, my, and who I am and, 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 and what I plan to do and how I want to accomplish things. Don't let that be the bottom line of your life. Don't let your disappointment some way distract you from the fact that God is allowing the disappointment to drive you to the one thing that will satisfy you, and that's Jesus Christ. He will satisfy you. There's a song in your songbook, I love that, Satisfied. And you read the words of that hymn. It's beautiful. But the whole issue is that my satisfaction, whom do I have in heaven but thee? You know, know, my heart and my flesh faileth, but thou art the strength of my heart and my portion, my satisfaction forever. Jesus Christ is that fulfillment. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Your fulfillment 
and your, your, your whole destiny is tied up in one thing, your relationship to Jesus Christ. In other words, there's, there's, there's a, notice the citizenship that he says, our citizenship's from heaven, so where's our destiny? Well, verse 21, what is our destiny? Who will transform our lowly, you can might say our sick, <laughs> our arthritic bodies, to be like his glorious body, his resurrected body. And how's he going to do that? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Wow. How's God going to do it? God's able. He's going to do it. I believe that. I know that. My destiny is resurrection. And it means this. It means that we're going to be Christ-like. That when we see him, it says we shall be like him because we're going to see him as he is and we're going to be transformed. So my goal in life is that I would be more like Christ right now. It affects everything I think right now and everything that I am. My destiny is tied up with heaven and heaven is my home. And yes, I am a stranger to, to, to many, many things, you know, think about um, you may not, you know, you can run up on a perfect stranger, a person you've never met, but if they're a Christian, what happens immediately? Now, remember we talked about the person who's an immigrant, and they meet another person of the same background. What do they start doing? They start talking in their language. Guess what? We start talking about who? Jesus. Now, we might have different theological views on some things, and so big deal. But the point is, if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, guess what? We'll talk about that. And you say, but, man, I feel like I've known you forever. <laughs> and you just met. I've met people at airports that when we start talking, next thing we know, oh, you're a Christian, aren't you? Yeah, boy, you know, I, I was just reading the scriptures this morning. And, and you know, and, and you just began to start your, and, you, and that, what took, you know, waiting for two hours. And it was like, man, I wish we had more time to talk. <laughs> Here, here's my phone number. Call me sometime. Um, it, 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 it it, this affects what, how you view what's going on in your life right now. Our focus, our citizenship is in heaven. It's, that's the reality that you and I have to live with day to day. You know, we don't have to be weighted down with anxiety and, and even disappointment, you know, or, or whatever it is. We're going to spend eternity in the presence of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and Paul's, Paul's kind of encouraging us to tune in to eternity, Right? Live with eternity on your thinking. And live right now when things are happening and you say, man, my life stinks right now. Well, think about what's going on in your life and know that this is not your destination. This is just your transformation. This is the process that God's putting you through right now because your destination is eternity. And if you live that way, guess what? There will be the joy that Paul's talking about in your life. Even in the midst of sorrow and sadness and aches and pains, yes, there's going to be, there's, yes, there's, there's wonderful power in the blood, but guess what? There's wonderful mercy in the blood too. Because when you're going through that, guess what? You're not sitting there saying, oh boy, it's just so wonderful being a Christian today. No, you're saying, man, I am hurting. And you go to the Psalms and you cry out to God, I'm discouraged, I'm disappointed, I'm depressed. You know, I'm overwhelmed. Lord, help me. And God says, I'm here to help. You know, if you read Pilgrim's Progress, uh, if you've not read it, it's an allegory that everyone should read. I mean, I've read it a number of times. But what it does is that what happens? Christian is in the city of destruction. He reads the scriptures and he gets convicted of his sin. 
And all of a sudden, evangelist, and he hears it, because how he does it is he hears evangelists. God sends evangelists. And he's running from the city of destruction. And all the, all the people in the city are saying, come back, come back, don't, don't run away. And he says, eternal life, eternal life. And he puts his fingers in his ears. And he's running towards eternal life. And then God sends him the, the, the interpreter to interpret what he's going through. And then he sends him um, faithful and hopeful. And all through the, all through the allegory, there's, it's pictures of how God sends different people into our lives to help us along this journey that we're on. Because we are sojourning through this world, but guess what? Our destiny is heaven. And we're going to spend eternity there. And we're going to spend a lot of time thinking, of, you know, Abraham's not sitting there thinking, boy, you know, I really didn't, boy, I missed out on so much in life. You know, I lived in a tent all this time. God said, you know, I was going to go to the promised land. No, you're not going to hear any regrets in heaven. I didn't get to do this. No regrets in heaven. No tears in heaven. Why? Because my destination is heaven. <laughs> That's where all my dreams are going to be fulfilled in the person of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I, I want to close with a story. There's, uh, this, this story was actually, actually did happen. It was a lady came to her pastor who was also a counselor, and her name was uh, Joanne, and she was married. She had everything that you could think of as a woman. She got, you know, she had the marriage of her dreams. Uh, she got the home that she'd always dreamed of. She had two wonderful children that she just loved. And um, it was all going well, but she did, you know, it was still disappointing, you know. Her husband could never do enough. Her children couldn't live up to a lot of her expectations. Well, she and her husband began to have problems. Eventually, uh, she... One day she said, well, I'm going to go with a friend. We're just going to, she and her friend, uh, they decided to go on vacation together, just a weekend away, just to get away because she was just so discouraged. She came back to a house was dark. She opened the door. She says, well, this is strange. Why is all the lights out? She looked in the house. It was empty. She went in the living room. It was empty. She went upstairs. Her children were gone. She looked for her husband. He was not there. She walked into her bedroom, and, uh, well, there was a mattress, her clothing. That was it. And it took her several years before she could actually even find her kids again. Her husband had been planning to leave her for a long time. Her whole world just fell apart at that moment. Can you imagine that? And what, as a pastor or counselor, would you tell that person? I mean, she's basically, her whole, her whole life's been crushed. She's a Christian. But she said this to her, her counselor. I was a Christian who was living without hope. And God had to remove all the things that were giving me false hope so that I could finally experience where true hope is to be found. And you say, but, but why would God use all of that? Well, she was trying to get all of her expectations, all of her goals met in this life. For whatever reason, God in his sovereignty did that. Now, he doesn't do that with everybody, thank God. You know, some of us could. But, but, she, but she, she realized that her hope was putting all of her marbles in trying to get everything that she could out of this life, not realizing that, guess what? This is not all there is. 
And we have to, we have to live with that. We, we, we pray with that focus to say, Lord, give me an eternal focus on what's important in my Christian life. And, 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 and keep me reminding, remind me constantly, brothers and sisters, remind each other that we are citizens of heaven and we're going to go and we're going to see Christ someday. Because all of us have our heartaches and our struggles and our pain right now. And don't let anyone tell you that that's, that's some reason that that's counter Christianity, that that's some kind of a, that's some kind of a, you know, well, wait there, if you're a Christian, you should just be always, you know, going around with a smile and, you know, everything's just wonderful. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not Christianity. But there is a deep joy, and that joy comes in a relationship that's fulfilling, that's purposeful, and that has a termination. You notice our end is resurrection, but notice what the end of those who are enemies of the gospel. It says right there, their end is destruction. It doesn't mean annihilation. It means judgment in hell. Uh, It's a sobering thought, but yet that's where God says there's a difference between true Christianity and all the things that package and look like religion. You know, religion sells. Christianity is reality. Knowing Christ. And Paul says knowing Christ means there's going to be humility, there's going to be sorrow and sadness, but Christ will always be there. He'll never disappoint you in your struggle. He'll always be there. He may not give you all that you want, but he'll give everything that you need, right? He says, I will meet your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And just, uh, Father, allow us to even to sink deeper, our teeth deeper into what it means to be citizens of heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.